And welcome to episode 78 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we are back in California. Yes, we are. We can't seem to stay away. Y'all have yeah. a lot of crime. <laughs> <laughs> that whole West Coast. <laughs> I know. Y'all keep, keep us wanting busy. to go back to Washington too. So. <laughs> Oh, well, I have the paranormal as well as the alcoholic beverage. And you will be pleased to know that I did not go back to sparkling wine this time. I was going to say, I dare you not to. So I was tempted. Make you look so something up. Tempted. <laughs> Any excuse I can take to drink a bottle of sparkling, I am so happy and going with it. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I don't want to bore you or our listeners. So I found the Agent Orange. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. Pretty bad title. But it really, it, um, this drink is very orangey. <laughs> That's the name. <laughs> oh, boy. And da da da, da you're drinking alone. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Nom nom. <laughs> All right. So this drink has vodka, orange juice, triple sec, and contour. So it has all those orange things in it. It's very orangey, as I said. What is, you put what all, is contour? It's also an orange. Um, it's like an orange liqueur. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> A few sips of this and already I can't remember anything going on. <laughs> I got the orange thing, mom. I just didn't know <laughs> what it was. I guess you could use either. Uh, you could use either triple sect or contour. You don't have to use both of them. Are you saying contour? Contour. How do you say it? Contour. I don't know. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it's French. It's a. It's oh, a French so that I really don't know how to say contour. it. Contour. Contour. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> So you can use either one of those, all right? Luckily, we had triple sec, and I didn't have to worry about the French one, so. <laughs> so I'm assuming it's California drink because of all the oranges? Well, it was first invented in 2007 at the San, San Medio, M-A-T-E-O, County Fair, and it won the award for the best co new cocktail at the fair. Oh, well. And people have liked it ever since, so. Let's do an ounce of vodka, a half an ounce of triple sect, or that French one, and, <laughs> and a half a cup of orange juice. Spiked orange juice. Sounds good. <laughs> Basically, that's exactly what it is. So you put everything in a shaker with ice, shake it real good, strain it into a chilled glass filled with ice cubes, and voila! There you go. Spiked Delicious. orange juice. Delicious. <laughs> Thank you for being different than your normal sparkling Corbel, but oh, I don't think you're going to enjoy I'm, this one as much. I'm not going to. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's good, but I'm just, you know, you like what you like. I can't help it. So talking about that this one awards at the fair, have you heard about all these crazy accidents happening at fairs? No. Like county fairs and like, oh my goodness, it's crazy all these rides and attractions that are falling apart. And people are really, yeah, yeah. Don't they have to pass like inspections and stuff? They do, but for some reason this year, I don't know if it's because maybe that's just what the media is focusing on. I don't know, but I feel like every day I'm hearing about a different state fair where another accident occurred, like another screw came loose and this thing fell and these people flew off and like, oh my gosh, everywhere, yeah, all over the United States. I don't maybe, know if they're I mean, just low staffed or... Yeah, maybe this is stupid, but maybe because of COVID, they didn't run them last year. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I mean, restaurants are a little different too. Everything seems to be low staffed everywhere. So oh, maybe, everywhere. Yeah, so maybe the fairs are low staffed too. But sorry, that just reminded me because there's just been so many crazy accidents all over the place. It's it's kind of spooky. It is. Oh, it's sad. And that's the true crime for this week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ta-da! Moving on to the <laughs> paranormal. Well, is your cocktail, does it taste good? It does. It's very orangey. 
And I think Tom would like this more than me. But it's good. I'm going to drink it. Hey. Yeah, because if it, I can imagine if it was like too strong, you could always just add more orange Orange juice. juice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Moving on. Before I begin this week's true crime story, I have to say that this is a very mysterious case. The death itself in the case is mysterious, but the investigation and all the aspects surrounding the case are very mysterious as well. Oh. With a secret code, a secret life, and lots of different stories told from person to person in this case. <gasps> is it about agents? Mm, no. Like secret agents with codes? That would be so no. weird. Because <laughs> my agent orange. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> Nothing about secret agents, Mom. Darn. Okay. All of this mystery made my research really hard. Oh, because it's undercover? <laughs> because it's not a... Stop thinking agents. <laughs> because it is not a very well-known case, and the resources that have covered it have different stories to tell from site to site. Oh, so, goodness. I mean, we usually really run just... across that, but... If you've got a story that's not out there and yet it's still totally different. Wow. Like I almost gave up researching it because it was so difficult to track. What do I need to share? What should I share? What are the actual facts? Like it's crazy. But I really wanted to advocate for this victim after I did do research for it. I really wanted to tell his story. So I'm going to do the best I can. If anything, right. it's y'all are going to be very intrigued. Okay, so the man who died led a life in the public's eye as an actor in Hollywood in the 1940s and was married to the famous Austrian and American cabaret singer and actress Greta Keller. Stories of old Hollywood are filled with scandal, love affairs, and lots and lots of glamour. This story is no exception. Even though he was in the public eye, he is said to live a very mysterious secret life, not an agent. <laughs> oh, boy. But because of his secrets, the investigation grew very difficult with many rabbit holes and dark holes for people to jump down. And thus, the case has been left cold for over 75 years. And down the dark hole we go. All right. It was a sunny Sunday in Venice, California on September 12th, 1943. It was around 5 p.m. when a burgundy-colored sports car came speeding like crazy heading east on Washington Boulevard. The car was all over the road, avoiding a telephone pole. It swerved up the curb and crashed in a bean field. A man, dressed in only a pair of blue swim trunks, stumbled out of the car yelling for help. He was covered in blood, and locals in the area came to his assistance. Help me, please help me, the man cried. A witness to the crash tried to calm the man down, tried to get answers from the victim as to what happened. But before an answer could come, the man died. Oh. A small stab wound was found in the man's back, and whatever it was that had stabbed him had punctured a lung. Doctors at the time said the wound was pretty severe, and he would have had about 20 minutes to survive. He must have known he didn't have much time, and that's why he was speeding to the hospital before the crash and inevitably his death. The man was a 29-year-old Hollywood actor, the masked marvel, David Bacon. Not a well-known name and not a very well-known case, like I said before. And it, the whole case just baffled me, so I, I really had to share it with you guys. Let's back up and learn a little bit about David Bacon. He was born Gasper Griswold Bacon Jr. in 1914 to Gasper G. Bacon and Priscilla Bacon in Massachusetts. I wonder why he changed his name. Gasper Griswold. <laughs> I don't know. I think it has a ring to it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> his family was a very prominent one. His family was very politically active. His grandfather, Robert Bacon, had been the Secretary of State under Teddy Roosevelt, and his father had been the President of the Massachusetts State Senate and served as Lieutenant Governor. So needless to say, he grew up with a very charmed life mm -hmm. with wealth and privilege. 
He attended very prestigious schools growing up, eventually attending Deerfield Academy, a very elite prep school, which, side note, is one of the oldest secondary schools in the United States. And then he went on to graduate from Harvard, where he found his passion in the arts, writing and starring in productions, even acting alongside then-President Franklin Roosevelt's youngest son, John. Cool. From here, the secrets, and as a researcher, I'll just call it holes in his story, starts. It seems he just kind of drifted after his graduation from Harvard. He drifted to New York, where the hearsay of and whispers about Bacon began. He dressed very proper in very expensive clothing. Because he didn't have a job, it was believed he was moonlighting as a gigolo. (laughs) Although... There is no evidence to these claims besides the way he lived and dressed all fancy. I mean, he came from a privileged he family. So came from money, so he's going to have, mean, yeah, he's going to dress nice. Yeah. I don't know. The other whisperings around were that he was gay. He was a man perceived to be gay in the 1930s, which was not a very accepted thing. If found to be gay, the individual could be arrested. What? Oh, yeah, their record stating that they were a sexual predator or sexual oh, no. offender. And in some cases, in the state of California, those suspected of being gay or proven so by the court of law could be condemned out of the state for any certain amount of time. Oh, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <sighs> so be- because of the times and treatments to the gay community, thus the many, many secrets in David Bacon's life. So anyway, back to New York. He's not doing so hot there, but he does make some friends that push him to, one, change his crazy name of Gaspar Griswold (laughs) to David, and two, set his sights on conquering Hollywood. Those friends were just these guys, I don't know if you know them, Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, no big Mm, deal. They ring a bell, but no. (laughs) (laughs) You were serious. You should have seen her face just now. I was so disappointed in you. <laughs> oh my god! Your face, Put the like, cocktail. You down. have got to be kidding me. <laughs> so anyway, Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart apparently had, you know, suggested he changed his name and suggested he goes to Hollywood. And that's just how one of the stories goes. Okay. But I'm picturing Gene Kelly here. Gotta dance. (laughs) (laughs) Heading to California. (laughs) Bacon moves to California ready to work. And he ran his first screen test in 1939 at the age of 25. Ginger Rogers supposedly saw this screen test and really liked the young Bacon. He was very handsome. Okay, I was going to ask. Honestly, he was very handsome. Okay. Some stories say that Stuart and Fonda advised the name change, and others claimed it was Rogers after she saw the screen test. Mm. No idea. And this is all during World War II. 1939. (laughs) During World War II. Another thing happened in 1939 that would change Bacon's life. One morning, the neighborhood newsboy, a boy of 15, knocked on Bacon's door for his paper subscription money. Bacon apparently answered the door in nothing but an oversized pajama top and invited the boy in. Uh Uh-oh. Once inside, Bacon made some sexual advances on the young boy. Nothing happened. The boy left and went home and told his father. Soon, police were at Bacon's to arrest him for contributing to delinquency of a minor. Back then, as I stated, homosexuality was really looked down on and could be charged as a delinquency. At trial, both Bacon and the boy were adamant that nothing had happened, and Bacon portrayed himself as very, very sorry about all of it. The judge was lenient and convicted Bacon to three years out of the state of California. No kidding. Yeah, kicked him out of the state. You're out of here. Some resources say he left. Others claim he just moved to Santa Barbara. (laughs) Regardless, that screen test was still out there. And because of the screen test, Bacon got his first role in a movie called Ten Gentlemen from West Point. He came back to L.A. to film the movie. The movie released in 1942. So, and it's a good thing it was kind of a flop. 
because if it had been a hit, he would have been in big trouble for breaking his court order sure. because he came back and was filming in L.A., mm-hmm. but that didn't really seem to phase him. <sighs> Again, what happens next is annoyingly not straightforward in my research. Whether his prominent family helped him to get a screen test or, as Darwin Porter wrote in his biography, Hughes' Hell's Angels, billionaire Howard Hughes spotted bacon in a bar, certain he had just found America's next leading man. So some sources said that because of his prominent family, he got this screen test and others say, well, this author in the biography of Howard Hughes wrote that. Hughes spotted bacon in a bar and was just like, oh, my gosh, you're you're it. Hmm. Okay. Regardless of how he got a screen test with Howard Hughes. Nice. Who at the time was a movie producer and part owner of the studio RKO Productions. Hughes loved him. According to some sources, David's future wife to be one of the sources of the statement. Hughes and Bacon's relationship was a tad curious at times. But again, There's just a lot of rumors swirling around about David Bacon in this case. The secrets and the holes in his life were left to interpretation, I think. Regardless of all the different little details, David was signed to the studio. And again, I want to make it clear, Hollywood likes their secrets. Oh, yeah. And this story is filled with them. Making my resources and their facts all over the board here, but making an educated guess at how things went Next, he was signed to the studio, and at first Hughes wanted to make him Billy the Kid in the movie The Outlaw. But after a few more screen tests, he went a different way, casting David in smaller roles to build up his career. He also evidently helped with David's image, pushing the young actor to get married, Mm. and in walks Greta Keller. Eleven years his senior, but the couple hit it off great and were married in 1942. Down the road, years later, after David's death, Greta did state that the marriage was a rouge of sorts. A lavender marriage, as she put it. A lavender. A marriage of convenience. A beard. Because the two were, in fact, according to her, quote, on the sexual spectrum, unquote. But it all couldn't have been a rouge because Greta was pregnant in the beginning of 1943 with David's baby. Mm. From the outside, David's life is looking really good. A new baby on the way. He was filming a new serial with 12 chapters, The Masked Marvel, and his career was starting to take off. Co-stars loved working with him. The audiences were falling in love with him. But on the inside, things aren't as they seemed in the press, photos, and in the media. And here is where I let you all down a bit (laughs) because I can't tell you with actual fact what was going on behind closed doors. I know that the pregnancy was a very hard one for Greta, maybe because of her age. She was 40 or so at the time. Oh, yeah. But there were some pretty big complications and she wasn't necessarily on bed rest, but she really had to take it easy. Uh, Some resources claimed that Bacon was actually embarrassed by his role in the masked marvel i guess it was a low budget film and he considered it the low point in his career Hmm. again resources are kind of all over the place it was either like this huge hit and he was really taking off or he really wasn't too pleased with it one saturday afternoon in september 1943 david wanted to go to the beach with his wife she had been advised to avoid the beach And even though David didn't really like that answer, he decided to stay home with his wife. They wrote letters and they were about to take a nap when he propositioned his wife for sex. She turned him down. I guess there was a bit of a fight and she ended up taking her nap. When she woke up from her nap, he was gone. And his whereabouts from the time he was last seen at home by his wife, which I think was around two o'clock. And when he was discovered in swim trunks with a stab wound in his back, covered in blood, dead off Washington Avenue around five. What happened in between that? Nobody knows what happened those three hours. Hmm. Some witnesses claimed they saw him with a dark-haired man in the car with him. Although the description was never the same and the description was never taken down by police, at least one other witness claimed to have seen a man and a woman in the car with him. Was this person or these people someone that David knew? One of his secrets? Or was it a hitchhiker? Friends said that he had picked up many hitchhikers while driving around. Mm -hmm. The only things found at the crime scene in the bloodied car 
was his wallet, which is how they identified him. Inside the wallet was a mysterious key. In the back seat, they found a bloodied bathrobe. They also discovered a blue sweater, much too small to be David's. Interesting. And a camera. The wound was a small stab wound in his back. Like I said, it had punctured his lung. And when I say small, I mean really small. The Unsolved Murders podcast described it as stilello. Stilello? Stiletto? Stiletto. (laughs) Is that what you're looking for? (laughs) Yes. Hey, I, I have a question about that. So he was stabbed in the back, but you said he had blood all over him. Where'd that blood come from? Well, he probably, he was bleeding out on his drive. I was picturing more wounds, I guess, when you said he had blood all over him. Then I see his back being all bloody, but okay. No, he was bleeding out. He was probably reaching back to his back. He had it on his hands. There's blood all over the steering wheel. Okay. Yeah, just one stab wound to his back, uh, but a murder weapon was never named or found. Uh, And this story just gets even more messed up from here. So stay with me. (laughs) Like I said, a lot of it could just be rumor told to fill the holes missing in the story. Oh, jeez. An official timeline of this case was either never made or not reported in the record of his murder. Mm. But from interviews with his wife, he left their home around 2 and he was discovered around 5. So... There's this three-hour window that we're trying to figure out what the heck happened. Mm -hmm. So like I said, some people claim to have seen him driving around, uh, some with a dark-skinned man, or some saw him with a woman. Maybe that explained the small blue sweater Mm -hmm. that they found in the vehicle. The small blue sweater did have blonde hairs on it. And it was a woman's sweater? Not necessarily, no. Okay, okay. Just a small blue sweater. The camera had one photo on it. Newspapers at the time reported that the one photo showed a naked David Bacon on a beach. In reality, a report in the evidence recorded never named a camera or a photo. What? And these items, yeah, and these items have never resurfaced after all these years. So was this just the media making up a story? Of finding a camera there on the scene because it was never listed in the records that there or was even was a it camera there by the police. But with one picture of David naked on the beach, like why would that matter? But it doesn't even make sense with the media. That's just okay. Okay, go ahead. This is weird. The robe in the back seat was bloodied, but there was not a hole or a stab hole in the item of clothing. Oh, he was shirtless when he was stabbed. Where was his shirt? He didn't leave the house without a shirt. Because of the witness's statements, seeing somebody, either a man and a woman or a woman or a man, <laughs> in the car, did that person have his shirt? Oh, my gosh. Was this a hitchhiker? Like I said, Greta and his friends said that David picked up hitchhikers a lot. But his rings were left on his hands and there was $13 in his wallet. And by the way, $13 then is like $200 today. Okay. So why not kill him? And take his money. You know, why Why just kill him instead of killing and stealing? Like, that just doesn't, doesn't make, make any sense. sense. And why not kill him and take his car, too? I mean... <laughs> None of it makes any sense. And remember, a doctor said that he could stay alive after that stab wound for up to 20 minutes. Up to 20 minutes. Not exactly 20 minutes. No, right. So we don't know exactly where he was when he was stabbed. Right. Th- that doesn't help narrow down the location mm-hmm. either. Curiouser and curiouser down the rabbit hole we jump. <laughs> Greta was interviewed and police asked to search through David's things for answers. Now, hold on. When I say that she was interviewed, I don't know. This is just what the resources that I read said that in her interview she said So I can't be certain if this is an interview with a newspaper or an interview with police because records into this case are just like few and far between. So just keep that in mind. But I guess in this interview, she stated that David went to the beach a lot and he loved to take a swim in the ocean, but he never, ever went to the beach without his three dogs. His three dogs? And on that day... He did. Hmm. Sand was found during the autopsy on his legs and his feet. 
So it is believed that he did go to the beach, but it's just really weird he went without his, his dogs. dogs. Yeah. If that's what she truly stated. Another thing that was weird is that when police were searching David's room, they discovered a diary. Newspapers of the time reported that the diary was written in a sort of mysterious code. One reported that Greta said that she helped detectives in the Holmes library go through books to help solve the code. Other newspaper articles claimed Greta said that she was not allowed to see the diary. She had only heard about it. Oh my gosh. This is like a little bit different. We're talking the differences are night and day. That's why I know I was probably really annoying in the beginning of the episode how I kept repeating myself that I'm doing my best here. Resources were all over the board. But I really wanted to emphasize the craziness of this case. And we have to, unfortunately, take everything Greta said after David's death with a grain of salt. She was in a total state of shock after finding out her husband had been killed. She passed out when the police told her. She was put on sedatives, and unfortunately, a few weeks after David's death, Greta gave birth to a stillborn baby. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that poor woman. (sighs) I know. And that diary, well... Just like the camera, there are no photos of it, no quotes of code anywhere. Again, I think it's just probably some dang media story trying to make, trying to fill the holes and make this story more fun. I I don't know. (sighs) One thing that Greta did help police with was that mysterious key in David's wallet. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I know. She claimed that it belonged to the apartment that David kept less than a mile up the road from their house for their gardener. But no records in 1943 showed that the couple had ever had a gardener. Oh my gosh. Okay. The owner of the complex let detectives into the apartment for their investigation, and all that was in there was a couple of women's purses, female cigarette holders, and some scraps of fabric. What? That's all. No furniture? No. The property owner explained that when he sold the apartment to David, David claimed that the apartment was for a friend. The property owner just assumed what you and I are probably assuming right now. A celebrity with a secret apartment is probably his mistress. But a woman was never seen in the apartment. Only men were seen in there with David. Oh. These men were tracked down. One was Harry Frazzi. He was moving to L.A. for work, and looking in the newspaper, he saw an ad for work. This ad was for a gardener and included a place to live. This man lived in the apartment for a whole four days, Oh, got a job as a radio producer, and then moved out. The people that moved him in and out, I guess, were females. This is what Harry said. And probably left their purses and cigarette holders behind. And didn't worry about them. Okay, whatever. The other man was Glenn Shalm. He was tracked down to a house with his wife on the other side of town. He was a Navy deserter and said he had gone to the apartment in response to an ad as a gardener with living quarters. Married with a home already looking for a job with lodging? (laughs) I don't know about that story either. Again, we have to keep in mind here. Homosexuality was a crime back then. So even if these men or anyone for that matter, had real answers. They wouldn't share them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If it connected them to anything homosexual, it would bring upon an arrest. They would never share it. By the end of September, police have a sweater that doesn't fit anyone and has blonde hairs on it, no murder weapon, a coded diary, supposedly, a secret apartment, and the newspapers and tabloids making up and elaborating on all of these stories and the case went cold. Unfortunately, that could be because police found evidence that Bacon was gay. Oh. And back then, as absolutely terrible as it is to say, there was no empathy towards the gay community. There was just too many loose ends in this case. Why would they never make an official timeline of this case? It just really doesn't feel like they really looked into it. I feel they looked into it. They saw, they found signs that he was gay and then they just kind of closed it up. Yeah. And maybe even hid some things. That's just my personal opinion. 
I don't know. I spent a long time try- reading different resources and trying to figure this whole puzzle out. <laughs> Jeez. Over the years, there have been people trying to get their Hollywood moment by making claims and connections to this case. One big story even ran in the Los Angeles Examiner by a man claiming that he and David were close friends and that days prior, David had called and said someone was blackmailing him. Later on, the man admitted to never meeting or knowing David Oh, Bacon. my gosh. One source I read claimed that David's cousin found a handwritten will written in pencil by David three months before his death. It left everything to Keller. Keller claims around that time... David was filming a part in a movie where he would jump off a two-story building. Mm. Was that Will in case something bad happened during that filming? Or did he know something bad was going to happen to him? Oh, it sounds like the filming. That makes sense. Another source claimed the story that Howard Hughes and David Bacon were having an affair. That's why he never got the role of Billy the Kid, because things went sour. And then Hughes had David killed. Mm. I think there was someone in the car with David. Maybe a new love affair or an old one. The person was in the back seat, and David was in the midst of climbing into the back seat to be with his lover. This oh. is why his shirt was off. Oh. This is just this is just my opinion, okay? Mm-hmm. The autopsy showed that the killer and David were face to face when he was stabbed in the back. The killer bolted after stabbing David, and the rest is well uh, That's it. I don't know. That's as far as my guess gets me. Maybe, like I said, it was a lover. Or maybe the ad in the newspaper was to lure men in. He made passes at that 15-year-old in the past. Maybe he did it again. Right. Maybe to the wrong person. Maybe to a homophobic pretending to be gay to lure him in to kill him. That happened a lot. Greta never remarried. And only dated men in the future that resembled David. Really? A boyfriend was once quoted as saying that, quote, Greta was absolutely gaga for that man, unquote. She never, ever stopped the search into his killer. His family, well, they just kind of stopped talking about David altogether, according to a great, great article written in Entertainment Weekly in 2019 titled, Who Killed the Masked Marvel? I'll make a link to the article. It's very well written. It gives a lot of detail and it's a very great article. But it stated that, quote, his niece, Marsha Bacon Martin, says that all she knows about her uncle Gappy is that he was very handsome, very talented and very charming. Nobody talked about him, says the 71 year old Martin. He was kind of an enigma. In fact, Martin has never seen any of Bacon's movies and only learned her uncle was murdered when she recently Googled him. Oh, my god! I'm very curious, she says. You probably know more than I do. Unquote. Jeez. All the secrets and all the mystery in one very sad, unsolved cold case of David Bacon. Oh. Man, you, you just really... D- didn't tie anything up (laughs) (laughs) I didn't I really even as I wrote it up I was like man should I just start researching something else I was like god I've already done so much work into this I've already spent like three or four days reading everything I think I can on this man I gotta do him some justice like the end of the day he was still a victim but I feel like I I literally just like spit out facts at you guys (laughs) But on on the other hand, it it's good also to know that hey, not not every crime has answers to it at all. So I mean, there's a case. And I don't know if it's because the case was in the 1940s. Yeah, how much of the police report has really been made public? Mm. You know, from resources, it really seems the police did very minimal in their reports. There's no timeline. There's no list of suspects there's no nothing Mm -hmm. and that's according to all my resources no matter what story they were telling so that was really interesting to me and very sad dang dang i know i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) 
No, but I, I, I want you, the listeners, I'd like you guys to look into it, see what you see. It's not a case that I've heard on any other podcast, and I listen to a lot. It's just not a case that's, and probably because there are no, there are no answers at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but I think, I think it'd be really interesting to, you know, see what y'all think. That's yeah. just, I ended with just my opinion of what I think happened in the car, but I really want to know everybody's opinion. It's an interesting, interesting case. Hmm. All right, mom, it's time for you to lighten some things up, please. Well, I don't know about lightening up because I don't know. So, of course, you know, you kind of Google haunted places in California or wherever we're at. And <clears throat> you find all these different things. And then I kind of remember the time that Ghost Adventures. Oh, here we go. But I really I'm not dwelling on them very much. <laughs> but they went to and I was wrong. I, I, I was thinking they went to Sharon Tate's house. Of course, they did not. Sharon Tate's house no longer exists. But anyway, so I was like, oh, the Manson murders. So the first time I heard about the Manson murders or Sharon Tate murders, I was around 10 or 11. And by that time, I had read all the Nancy Drew books, all the Trixie Belden books, the Hardy Boy books. <laughs> I mean, they were they were done and read, and I was fascinated with clues and solving mysteries. And it was time to take it a step further. Here was a horrible murder scene, and the murders had been caught, but why did they do it? And who was this Charles Manson that these killers were so devoted to? <laughs> no, I did not read Helter Skelter when I was 10 or 11. <laughs> Just putting that out there. But I sure grabbed the book when I was a little older. And to this day, I'm still fascinated with not the murders. Those were absolutely horrible. But the whole Manson follower thing. So, <clears throat> Beth and listeners, I bet you can already guess who is going to cover that topic. <laughs> I know. I, it was a fight for a little while, but I think mom won out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm just, I have been fascinated with this for so long. Anyway, I was very excited when I discovered the Haunted Omen House. Not Omen, but Oman. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? The Omen with yeah, Damien? Yeah, like not a bad Omen, but yes. But I the last it. guy, the guy's name is David Omen. O-M-A-N. Got it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, looking into the house also meant looking into the Tate murders. And that led to watching interviews with Manson, which led to something else, which led to something else. Oh, <laughs> but okay, back on topic. No, 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 that's exactly right. Because I texted you. And I said, <laughs> said, I'm done with California. It only took me three or four days, but I'm finally done. I said, what are you doing? What are you working on? Oh, I'm looking at the Manson murders. <laughs> Interviews with Manson. Boy, he is just off the wall. I was like, what? <laughs> I had the true crime, right? <laughs> Talk about a rabbit hole for mom. Oh, okay. So a little bit about the Manson murders. Of course, there's much more, but I'm just going to kind of introduce people. In the summer of 1969, filmmaker Roman Polanski and his wife, actress Sharon Tate rented the house at 10050 Cielo Drive in the, an exclusive neighborhood of Los Angeles. In the early hours of August 9th, 1969, Polanski was in Europe, but 26-year-old Sharon, who was eight and a half months pregnant with the couple's first child, was at the house with friends. Wojciech Frakowski, 32, his girlfriend Abigail Folger, 25, and 35-year-old hairstylist to the stars and Sharon's very close friend, Jay Sebring. Also on the property was 18-year-old Stephen Parent, who was driving his car after visiting the estate caretaker at his guest house and was heading home. So this guy was definitely at the wrong place at the wrong oh, time. I know, I hate and that. And from what I read, it, he, the caretaker, he had just... This kid had just met him and it had a he had a clock radio or something that he wanted to sell to him. So it wasn't it was just yeah, that poor kid. Well, I mean, it was horrendous all the way around. Parent was the first to be killed. He was shot four times at point blank range. Then the killers moved to the house. 
Abigail Folger was found in the yard. She'd been stabbed 28 times. Uh, supposedly she had a, she had been wearing a white nightgown and the police didn't even know it was white because it was drenched in blood. Oh my gosh. Frykowski was also found in the yard. He'd been stabbed 51 times, shot twice, and hit in the head with the butt of a gun 13 times. Found in the house was Jay Sebring, who was stabbed seven times, shot once, and had also been hit in the with the butt of the gun several times. Sharon was found in the house, stabbed 16 times. Her baby, Paul, who was due in just two weeks, was also a victim of this senseless crime. Oh my gosh. The following night, Leno LaBianca and his wife Rosemary were also slaughtered by Manson followers, but that was in another section of L.A. So my topic is on Cielo Drive. Specifically... And this was the neighbor to where the Tate murders happened? Well, the house was not existent at that time. Uh, the house that I'm going to talk about was not existent. The Omen House, named after its owner, David Omen, who was a former P.I., built the house with his Los Angeles real estate developer farmer, uh, f- farmer, father. <laughs> in you ni- carry around farmers with you? <laughs> in, in 1999. So that's when they built this house. Oh, okay. Originally, the house was built to be sold, but David found it to be his dream home and moved in August 2002. Shortly after he moved in, strange things started to happen and they haven't stopped. Now, I don't know if I say it later on, but the Sharon, the actual Sharon Tate murder house was totally demolished in 1994 and then a house rebuilt. Oh, okay. Shortly after he moved in, strange things started to happen and they haven't stopped. Even the construction workers who worked on the house reported strange things, mostly voices and footsteps when there was no one around. During the first few nights of living at the house, David woke in his bed to see a figure standing at the foot of his bed. The figure was a man who seemed to be pointing with his left, with his raised left arm hand. And at this point, David knew of the Manson murders, like who doesn't, but he didn't really know the details. It was shortly after he saw the apparition that he looked more thoroughly into the murders. I mean, they did happen on the property right down from his house. I I mean, he could easily walk down there. It was on the same street. As he looked at pictures of the victims, he immediately recognized Jay Sebring as the man who had stood at the foot of his bed. David brought in psychics to try to figure out what was going on. They all told him that his house was definitely a draw for the spirits. I wonder why. Well, uh, it's very interesting. So as I said, the house, the actual murder house had been torn down, but maybe it was such a horrendous event that the spirits or their residual energy never left the area i mean i don't know then do they haunt all the houses in that area Uh, that's a really good question that i wish i could have found an answer to but i didn't it's like even the person who lives in the house that was rebuilt on that property there was nothing on it being haunted or anything so i don't know Hmm. i know we've talked about living on or in houses that where things like this happened because we hear about stories all the time like people move into the like the amityville horror house sure. they moved back and sure. people moved into that house so we've said that we probably would never do that but would you move on to the land if it was a new house that was built there i think so oh i still don't even know if i would do that if it was set well i mean if it was a big because those people were found those two victims were, were found, found on outside. the ground their blood is in the ground yeah yeah. Well, maybe if I knew of such a huge, horrendous crime, maybe I wouldn't. But, I mean, you don't know what happened on your grounds before your house was built. Stop it, Mom. <laughs> Just saying so. <laughs> I can tell you what happened. I can tell you what happened. Previous owners put little work into redoing their home, oh, they fixing put, their home. They put a lot of band-aids is what they did. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I am exhausted. We have no AC for the last 24 hours. It has not been fun. Go Uh, on, Mom. Back to my story. Renowned (laughs) parapsychologist Dr. Barry Taff has been to the house about 20 times to investigate. And that was 20 times within the year. In an article, he 
he wrote titled The Omen House, he shares some of the very unusual phenomena that occurs at the house. Taff was originally brought to the house in 2005 to investigate the, quote, real story behind the movie at the end of the drive. So have you heard of that movie? Yep. I at, have yes. It's about the Sharon Tate murders, and it's in yes, and it is based on the actual experiences of the producer and co-creator David Omen. So it is about David Omen's house that sits and it concerns itself with the murders at the end of the drive. Gotcha. So, at his first introduction to the house, I think he was more leery of leaving his sports car parked on the side of the very narrow road than he was leery about going into the house. At least that's what he said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very small, I, I don't know if you can even call it a road. It's just a really, like, only one car could fit on it, basically. Right. And it, from what I read, there's a lot of, like, uh, potholes and stuff in it. So he, he was already oh. anxious about a sports car just even driving up there. So he was, he was very leery about parking his car here on the side of the road. <laughs> okay. This attitude was going to change. In fact, he goes on to say that the case was the most bizarre of his multi-decade career. The first thing that Dr. Taft noticed was that his geomagnetometer, got it, sure, geomagnetic <laughs> magnetometer indicated an unbelievable magnetic field and polarization throughout the house as well as an electromagnetic background. 20 to 100 times what is normal. Mom, none of that made any sense to me. <laughs> it's kind of above me too, but it really is very interesting. So there were some places in the house that the compass needle, now you know what I'm talking about is a compass and a needle. I knew that. Okay. I know that is, yes. It would actually spin wildly and wouldn't stop spinning. There were some places in the house that that happened. Huh. And other places that the compass needle would actually read the opposite direction that the compass was actually at. So if you're standing north, the compass would read that you're standing south. Because all the magnetism in the house, I mean, it, it's... What is the house built of a whole magnet? Like, that's just weird. <laughs> the house is a magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some kind of stone under there? Is there like another Rockwell rock, a Rockwell stone? <laughs> but a really big underneath? one. Underneath? <laughs> the home is just built on one? The compass was not the only thing affected. Taft said that he and his companions were all physically ill after they left the house. He even admits that while exploring the basement or the bottom floor of the house, and that's where most of the paranormal activity occurs, David's two dogs even refused to go down there. Oh, that's my first tell. His cats don't mind. They go down there. <laughs> but yeah, his... because cats are little demonic little beings. <laughs> but his, but his, his two dogs, I mean, I was watching video after video, and his two dogs refused to go down there. Nope. Mm -mm. Oh, wow. Taft said they actually Poor babies. fainted when he first entered the basement. He felt... The dogs fainted? Taft. The dogs the never go down there. They're... <laughs> I'm sorry. This virtual thing is hard sometimes. <laughs> no. The cats fainted? No. The parapsychologist, Taff. Oh, Taff. Gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> That's less exciting. <laughs> okay. Taff said he actually fainted. Okay. He felt warm, dizzy, and nauseous, and then boom, lights out. But he continued his investigation after he revived. He stated that later that evening, he put a new battery in one of his instruments. And as he always did, he carved an X into the old battery and threw it away in the trash in the front of the house. But okay, following you hours later, when he opened his locked case to retrieve an item, there was the battery balanced on the ledge of one of the case's compartments. Now, is he sure this was the exact battery? Yeah, because... Or if this was another X battery from another case he did. He, I don't think he... I mean, he had already passed out. This man is already kind of like not <laughs> fully with it. He's standing on a Rockwell Rock. Roswell Rock. Roswell Rock. Wasn't that what it's called? Yeah. He's standing on one of those, so he's kind of loopy. <laughs> probably like me. You misplace things all the time. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the case, I don't know. Case was locked. I don't think it was his habit to put an old used battery in one of his cases. But he put an X on it. He did. 
He put an X, like he always does. He, he said he always did that. But lo and behold, there's another one in his case. <laughs> did he go to the trash to see if the old, the other one That's was what I would have done. I would have too. That's what I totally would have done. I would have been like, am I going crazy? Did I do this? Yeah. I have to go check. Yep. I'm going to exactly. go dig in the trash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Taft said that he and the two investigators with him were not only physically sick during and and after leaving the house, which is common for most people visiting the house, actually. But they because also the Roswell Rock. They also had horrid nightmares. Another commonality for house visitors. But didn't that guy say that this was he realized this was his dream house? That's why he kept it. Yeah. Yeah. He's still there. So he just loves living in nausea. He I don't think he's affected. That's what's so weird. Oh, that's creepy. Taft's friends never went back to the house. But he visited the house 20 times within that year, getting sick every time. <laughs> the first 15 times weren't enough. Let's go again. But Golly. he did emphasize that he suffered from IBS and the high amplitude geometric field at the location could very well have irritated his IBS. So there could be an actual... No, duh. <laughs> It might not be ghosts oh, after all. Boy. <laughs> so your story is just like mine. We lead the listeners up this like tall roller coaster of like there was a camera with a picture and then that camera never existed. I guy got really, really sick. But done. he had our IBS. Well, I want to throw debunk stuff in there, too. So Taff went on to tell of things that happened on subsequent investigations in the house. One of his associates witnessed a lamp flying through a room. <laughs> <laughs> another was in a bathroom can you imagine sitting going to the bathroom and all of a sudden this paper comes up from the trash and hits you what yeah he was they were in the bathroom when paper that was in the trash flew up and hit him okay i'd much rather see a flying lamp once, when being interviewed by a journalist in the house, the journalist asked whether he had ever gotten sick while in the house. And before he could even respond, both he and the journalist were overcome with a wave of nausea. There's no. your answer, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that it's all in your head? Yeah, exactly. There's the answer. People have captured <laughs> orbs in, a, in videos as well as pictures of spirits. Taft tells of a night when he and a friend were walking up the road towards the Manson murder location. Taft felt a hand on his shoulder. At the same time, his friend, who was walking behind him, took a picture. In the picture were several balls of lights or orbs around him, and they were all on the side that he had felt that hand. Oh, weird. Another time, Taff had a glass filled with water thrown at him while in the house. There was also a story about a glass of wine hurling at somebody and splashing against the wall. Oh, that's much worse. That's <laughs> I know. Stain. I was thinking it's a waste of wine, but okay, stain too. <laughs> Uh, oh no. Down in the basement, he was once again touched on the shoulder by a definite human hand, but the person he was with was 10 feet away from him and had his back turned, so it was not that person. As I said before, many people have gotten physically ill when entering the house, but for many, as soon as they walk out of the house, they feel better. Hmm. The U.S. Geological Survey listed the area of Benedict Canyon as a geomagnetic anomaly site. So there is something in the rocks. There's something, but they don't know what it is. But there's something in the rocks that with high magnetic fields. But listen. And that can mess with anybody's head. It, it, there's definitely high magnetic fields. So going back hundreds of years, the Native American tribes regarded it as a sacred place. So they already knew that there was something off about this area. There is no hmm. scientific explanation as to why this area is so magnetic. Interesting. Could this magnetism that affects humans physically also be a draw of sorts, making it easier for spirits to communicate? It's like Skinwalker Ranch all over again. Almost, right? Yeah. But this one has like people living in their houses on it. <laughs> yeah. This, this David guy does not seem to be affected at all weird uh, it it is it's very weird 
the bedroom in the basement is really like the most where the most activity occurs and there was one I think it was taps that was down there there I mean there you name a big investigation group they've been to this house okay uh I think it was taps that was down there and they were in the basement and they they were holding one of those um temperature reader things that they do and he said <laughs> I want you to lower if you're in here with us because it kept answering that yes they were there yes they were there so he goes if you're really in here lower the temperature to 62 and the temperature man I needed the ghosts in my house yeah you needed them last night when your air went out shoot <laughs> so it was the temperature was 66 and it kept going down slowly he goes uh-uh, not happy yet. I want it at 62. I want it right at 62. I'm not happy. You're not proving anything to me until it's 62. That dang thing went down to 62, hit 62, and then started going up again. But what was so weird, it wasn't all around that room. It was, it was just, just in, that in the circle that the guy, in between the three guys that were there. So weird. It was weird. So this David Omen, as I said, he's not scared. He has obviously had many experiences. But his answer to that is that he accepts the spirits and they mean him no harm. So they can live in his house with him, but he doesn't he doesn't mind as long as they don't do anything harmful. Because nothing's affecting him. He doesn't care. (laughs) And he's making a lot of money with all these different paranormal groups coming in. He's even written a book. Ghost of Cielo Drive. He also has a YouTube channel, youtube.com David Omen, where he posts videos of some of the activity in his home. The guy has 25 cameras in his house and five outside of the house so he can capture things. These cameras are running all the time. Oh, and he's got this like this big screen, I guess. And I mean, he's he works with movies you know so he's got all this equipment anyway this big screen that has all the camera locations up all the time okay oh my god so he's put some pretty cool things up on the youtube so check it out if you want to see some it's up on the youtube up on the youtube so i watched a video on youtube by grim life collective i don't know if you've heard of them and they did capture some things on the video the lights in the hallway flickered independent of one another. I always think that's kind of cool when they do that. Instead of that's all of them cool. going down or up, they were just like one at a time going down Ooh. and up. It, Ooh, it, I just got it, shivers. It, that's crazy. It was kind of cool. David had stated that figurines on top of his aquarium randomly toppled. Okay, now when I say figurines, he's got this very eclectic collection of figurines there's like three uh beetlejuice up there there's cool um i I mean just these random figurines like mostly like plastic figurines that stand okay okay? i think i'm remembering those from from ghost adventures yep yep you did because this this happens he says all the time and sure enough as michael from grim life collective and david were talking in that room with the aquarium one of the figurines just randomly fell forward. I mean, mm. and it was caught on on film. David jumped on the floor and banged on the aquarium to prove that someone's movement was not the cause of the toppling figurine. And sure enough, the other figurines didn't even move. Weird. It was just... Well, I mean, you'd think it happens all the time. Find a new shelf for your figurines. I think it's pretty cool that it happens. <laughs> I think he likes that it happens. And, and I think Ghost... Yeah, because it gets some more people in his house. Ghost Adventures, <laughs> um, they also recorded a figurine drop. I remember that. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. So it does happen quite often. David just smiles when this happens. He just smiles and just kind of <laughs> nods his head. And he's, you know, I mean, it's nothing new to him. Now, remember, I said that the spirits seem to mean no harm, but I'm not sure that was the case with Charles Gould. He's a camera grip that was staying at the house while they were filming the house at the end of the drive. He occupied the bedroom in the basement. Now, remember, I said that's where a lot of activity happens. Right. I saw an interview with this guy where he was telling this story. He's this large... I want to say beefy, but a, a very large guy, okay, okay. from Australia, because he had that cool accent that I love so much. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when you watch him talk about what happens, you can actually see the fright in his eyes. I mean, it's still with him. He, 
he looked like he was even afraid to talk about it. He said that one night he was sleeping on the left side of the bed when he was awakened by a voice that said, you're coming with me. All of a sudden, he was literally dragged to the corner of the ceiling in the room. What? This guy is huge. He's huge. And he was up in the ceiling of the room. He was held there for just a few moments, and then he slid down the wall. The next thing he knew, he was back in bed, but sitting against the headboard on the right side of the bed. I mean, I don't know about you, but if some spirit lifted me up to the ceiling, I wouldn't say that was a really nice spirit. <laughs> I don't think, no, uh, I'd be out of there for good. That, no, that's creepy. Uh, oh, this is, this is creepy too. Another occurrence in the basement was reported by a paranormal investigator. She said that when she entered the basement, she saw a baby lying on the floor. Then she what? distinctly heard a woman's voice saying, help my baby, help my baby. The vision is stuck in her head. And I mean, she could totally see it even when she was talking about it. She said it was horrible. Oh, that's so demonic to me. Uh, but remember Sharon Tate, she tried to save her baby. I know, but I don't I know if that has anything like... to do with it. That is just, oh, that was creepy to me. All right. Now, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember when you were watching Ghost Adventures, the very weird room in that house. It was. I don't remember that episode very much. I just remember the figurines for some reason. <laughs> it was small, but there was a dirt pile almost in the house. It, it Was it a dirt floor? No, no. It's a dirt pile. It's coming it's outside coming into the, it's so hard to explain. It's outside coming into, it's like, it's part of the, the hill that it's built on. It was never, it was never plowed up. It was, it's like the actual dirt from the hill that's still in the room, but it's solid. Weird. So there's a okay. walkway and there's a wall, but on the other side of the room, you know, from the wall is this just solid dirt pile. <laughs> Don't know. Is the Don't dirt know, pile there. a wall? It acts as a wall, but it's not flat. It's It comes okay. out. It's, it's, it's almost like a rock in the room, but it's not a rock. It's a dirt. Okay, but it's not loose. It's hard dirt. It's a dirt. <laughs> it's a dirt, but it's a hard it's dirt. It's a dirt. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just really weird. According to a psychic that David brought into the house, the body of a Native American and his horse are buried somewhere in the pile. Near the dirt? In the dirt. Oh, boy. The man had been riding his horse. This is what the psychic saw. The man had been riding his horse, and the horse slid off the path. So the path that is now Cielo Drive. Okay. And both man and rider crashed down the hill, and both were killed. And strangely enough, in this uh, Grim Life Collective video that I refer to, Jessica, the other investigator on the team, walked into the room and not knowing the story, put her hand on the dirt pile and started talking to whoever. I mean, she's, it's okay. I'm here to help you. If you need any help, I'd like to help you. I mean, she just was talking. And mm -hmm. she later stated that she sensed a Native American kind of slouched against a tree. David was floored because he had not told the story to anybody, to them at all. So he kept saying, you're the first one. You are the first one that actually consents what is going on. And I, I have to say here that Zach kept saying, this is a, this is a Native American burial ground. I know it is. It's a Native oh, American he was burial very threatened. ground. And actually, it is not the Native American burial ground is way further down same location but further down the street way further down okay um, so it was not a native american burial ground and it would have been a real weird native american burial ground because they would have had to like propel themselves down this hill down a hill no it didn't that didn't make sense but of course you know it's sack there have been many stories many investigations and YouTube videos with the shared subject of the Omen House. I mean, you just get on there and there are so many videos to watch. It's just ridiculous. Is it haunted by a demon? No, probably not. Does the house sit on an Indian burial ground? No. Is the house in an area with a high amplitude geomagnetic field? 
most definitely yes this is scientific screws with your head scientifically proven okay is the house haunted i would say yes uh from my research i'd say david omen his dogs and cat are living with several spirits and he's kind of getting a kick out of it actually (laughs) (laughs) you know i i don't know if he charges these guys to come in and investigate or whether it just kind of promotes him or what the deal is. He's a very entertaining man. If you watch the videos, he's he's very entertaining and he's he's really getting a kick out of this. These spirits that live in his house. He just <laughs> he just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, they do it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. I can't imagine living in. I don't know. I just feel like that rock or whatever it is, the magnetic gotta have field something. that they live in, it's got to have some kind of effect on them. But that's the whole, it, it. I mean, it's the whole area, including the part where Sharon Tate lived. It's that whole sure. area. Jeez, she's swinging her arm around. Whole area. She knocks area. down her cocktail. No, that would be my microphone, but... <laughs> I would never. She knocks down never her Never knock down my cocktail. So anyway, yeah, it was actually a very interesting paranormal case because there was some science in it too. Yeah, very, very interesting. A lot of um, disembodied voices, lots of disembodied voices, lots of whispering, lots of footsteps that, that videos have picked up that you can hear for yourself. Very hmm. interesting. So there you go. Hmm. I'm going to have to go look this up. Yes, you do. All right. Well, that was episode 78. Next week, Mom, we are covering stories from Oklahoma. I knew you were going to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a very weird unsolved case from there. So all these unsolved cases. Staying on a theme. I like (laughs) it. If you want to see resources or pictures from this episode, you can find them on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. I want to know your opinion on this story, that the true crime story that I shared. Email your responses if you want to, to us, or you can find us on social media as well. We are on Facebook and Instagram, and our email is killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. We do apologize it took so long, but patrons, you do have little goodies coming in the mail. If you've not already received them, let us know. Yeah, you should have received them by now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry it took so long. We've had a very busy summer, but... No, actually, we ran into technical difficulties as far as sending those out. (laughs) Leave it to us. (laughs) So let us know if you have not received those, please. And please welcome to our new patrons that yes. have uh, joined us this month. Yes, welcome to our new patrons. If you would like to join Patreon, uh, the link is going to be in the description of this episode and on our website as well. Well, this episode just has a lot of questions to it. I don't even know how to end this episode. <laughs> is it haunting or is it just the ma- geomagnetic field? Crap messing with people's heads. Is it? The geomagnetic it, field. Is it haunted? Did the police cover things or did they not even investigate? Was there a coded diary or did that thing even exist? Was there a camera? Was there a picture? <laughs> was Why was there only one picture if there was a camera? So many questions, so few answers. <laughs> <laughs> and lots and lots of oranges. <laughs> We need a secret agent to figure it all out. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I just tied and it all she together. brings it all back. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Mom, virtual cheers. Virtual cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>